Good uh, morning, Hillside, and welcome on this sunny summer spring day. I, I hope that you are somehow getting outdoors this weekend and not just doing like chores. Uh, you got to get out and enjoy the world. I'm, I'm so glad you're with us. Uh, it's so important in these days. Man, um, all the news we're hearing, it, it, it just seems like you, you can't hear good news most days. But uh, we have this old story that Charion told us is new all the time, and that Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient for you and I. Isn't that great news? It's a new story, folks. We're, we're supposed to be excited about it every time we think about it, and today we're so glad that you're connecting and that we can actually reflect on that today. Um, I was thinking this week, and I wonder, have you ever had someone speak something over you or say something to you which simply changed your life or, or changed the trajectory of your life in a good direction? I had a high school teacher in my final year of high school who pulled me aside, and he says, Derwin, you know, I, I haven't seen your, your university applications at all. Are, are you going to university? He says, you should go to university. You have a mind worth investing in. And I'd actually never had anybody really say that to me before. I, I, my last year of high school, and, and he spoke that into me, and it, it actually changed my life. In, in another instance, I was in England uh, for a gap year, and I was going to this little Christian college and every week, we were sent out on outreach into the local community, and we went to this little village in Lancashire to this coffee shop, and we worked with teenagers. And uh, on our bus ride there, bus ride back, we'd, we'd talk, and on our way back one night, this little English girl, uh, her name was Dorcas, she turned to me and spoke with some authority and said, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> I'd never hear, heard anyone speak to me with such straightforward authority, and it turns out she was a little prophet. Turns out I've got one of those in my life all the time. Um, but if you can't remember something like this happening to you, I want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has spoken better things than that over your life. And in our text today in Matthew chapter five, uh, Jesus spoke to his followers some incredibly defining words. We're in this series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're, we're now in the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Jesus' most well-known teaching. And uh, in it, Jesus kind of outlines his vision for the good life, his sort of approach to how we can get in, the best, in on the best life that God has for us. But before Jesus ever tells us to do anything, to get busy doing good or whatever, Jesus starts with blessing. And he tells us, blessed are those, not, not those who have everything, but sometimes those who have nothing. And he goes on to say, blessed are the meek, and blessed are the humble, and, and blessed are the peacemakers. He even says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And then he says, he, says, he goes on in this next text, he says, you're, the, you're really the most significant people on the planet. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Why don't we read that passage, and, and as we read it, I'd like you to imagine that God is speaking those words over you this morning. Matthew 5, beginning 
at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, uh, this morning I pray that you would speak your word over us, that we might be changed, that it might, uh, Lord, lead us into a path of life and blessing uh, for you and for the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the two beaut- the, the metaphors that Jesus uses are absolutely beautiful. They're, they're meant to be an encouragement to us. They speak of our calling in Jesus. They speak of this, this role or this identity or this purpose that, that we're meant to carry as we live our lives as Jesus followers in the world. First, uh, there's the image of salt. We likely take for granted in our modern world the value of salt, but salt would have in ancient days been thought of as an essential spice and a, a significant symbol. What was it known for? First, it was known for purity. Salt is unblemished. It's, it's clean. It's white. There's a purity to it. In the Old Testament, they actually used it to sprinkle on animal sacrifices to make them holy. So one idea of being salt has the idea, as Jesus followers, of living pure lives. There's actually a, a responsibility when you claim the name of Jesus to kind of to, to, to live out that name, to that what you say and what you listen to and, and what you watch and what you think about, what you dream about, it's, it's meant to reflect the way of Jesus, that there be a certain purity to it. Uh, James, uh, Jesus' little brother, sums up faith kind of this way. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. From from James' perspective, from what he heard from Jesus, true faith looks like this. It's it's loving others, especially the vulnerable, you know, the the widows and the orphans. And also it's about taking care to limit the polluting influence of the world on your life. So for, for salt, it's pure. Second, there's flavor. Salt was used for flavor, to to season food and make it taste better. And one of the reasons that it was used for flavoring is because we actually crave salt. Our bodies crave salt because it's an electrolyte, and and thus it's necessary for our survival. And so we have a a taste for it, and, and things don't just taste the same without it, do they? I mean, have you ever bought unsalted peanuts by mistake? Like, it's a sad story, isn't it? Or, or, or can you imagine popcorn without salt? You can't, can you? Dry, fluffy awfulness. Uh, or, or corn on the cob with, without salt, or, or your favorite curry without salt in it. it. It all needs salt, right? Salt makes the foods that we eat taste better. 
Apparently, Canadians like salt a lot. We have more salt in our foods than, than actually Americans do. That's a little tidbit for you to need to know. <laughs> but what might this look like for us? Simply, I think followers of Jesus are meant to bring God's life and joy to the world around us. I think that's the idea he's after. This is especially true with our words. The Apostle Paul points out in, in his letter to the Colossians, he says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. You know, you know when we speak to our coworkers, when we speak to our, our family members, it's, it's so important to have our speech seasoned with God's kindness, God's grace, uh, God's encouragement, to be champions of others. Wherever we live, wherever we work, to, whether we're in school, wherever, to, to build others up, not to tear them down. Think about it. What, what it would it be like if we were known for our kindness, if we were known for our just generous compassion towards others? What if we were known as, as champions of, of the underdog in our school classroom or, or, or at our workplace? or simply known for how we cheer others on in their dreams and in their goals, and, and that we do what we can do to help them succeed. What if, what if we were known for that? How, how good would that be? Finally, preservative. In, in the ancient world, this is how you'd preserve food and kept it from going bad, you, you salted it. it. They didn't have refrigerators or, or ice boxes in the hot Middle East, so salt helped preserve food. But it was more than just a preservative. Salt heals. Or you might even go as far to say salt kills. When I was a kid uh, and I had a sore throat, my, my parents' first instructions was always this, go and gargle with salt water. Anybody, you, you, you've been there, right? And, and I was always amazed that as you gargled, you could slowly feel you know, the, the soreness fade away as the salt killed the bacteria, the harmful bacteria in my throat. And somehow, as, as Jesus' followers, we're to spread out throughout the world in order to bring his healing, to preserve the good. I, I'd suggest one of the primary places where this gets worked out is in your vocation, in, in your work, in your company, in your school. Or, or wherever you are most of the time. And for a lot of you, that's going to be your job. It's so important because you're bringing the preserving agent of God's kingdom. You, you bring heaven's perspective to conversations and decisions that are made in your workplace or in your school. I think it's just a critical role. I, I have a friend, and he's, he has told me much about his work over the years, uh, he told me how, how it's just kind of colored, has been colored by this toxic, politicized work environment. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain it. But there's people kind of snipping at each other. You know, there, there's power moves going on. There, there, there's, uh, people are being underhanded. They're never giving you exactly the, the, the full goods. There's, there's all kinds of emotionally unhealthy behavior and while my friend was tempted many times to quit, you know, he's like, surely there are greener grasses somewhere, or go off and, and, and maybe just keep his head down. Instead, he's had a strong sense from God that, that 
as important as his job, has been his role to, to actually bring God's kingdom there, to help foster organizational health. And so he's kind of taken this on as an assignment, and, and he actually works to, to challenge some of the bad behavior he sees. It's led him into some pretty tough conversations. You know, he models healthy teamwork and encouraging the staff that he works with. And instead of talking behind someone's back, when he has a conflict with somebody, he actually goes and has a direct and positive conversation about the conflict. And he feels like it's like a decades-long project, but over years of showing health day after day, week after week, my friend is being used to heal that corporate culture. Isn't that good? That's being the salt of the earth. That's, that's bringing the healing and, and preserving nature of God's kingdom into the world where we live and where we work. You know, all these metaphors of salt, it, it involves being spread out. Um, you never have a meal just of salt, do you? I mean, except for when you're a kid and you, you sprinkle a whole bunch in your hand. And Anyone? Anyone do that? Me? Yes? Salt's not good in dense quantities. It's good sprinkled out. You sprinkle it. We're, we're to be spread out to every workplace, every coffee shop, every neighborhood. And so I think a question we should ask ourselves is, do I bring purity? Do I bring flavor? Do I, I bring a, a, a preserving, healing presence to the world around me? And, and this is important to ask because Jesus goes on to say, he says, what good is salt if it is not salty anymore? What good is a follower of Jesus if we don't bring purity through our lives or flavor through our words or, or a preserving influence through our actions? And Jesus' answer is not good at all. But when we do it, we're living into Jesus' pronouncement over us Dale Bruner, commenting on this passage, says, he says, the deepest desire of Christians after loyalty to God in Jesus is to be used by Jesus to help people. I don't know about you. I want to be used by God to help people. I want my life to matter. And there's something exciting about sensing that, that you're part of what God is up to in the world if, this, if that's happening, if God's doing something, I, I want to be part of that. And so what can I do? I can pursue, pursue purity, being intentional about practicing the ways of Jesus in every area of my life. I can begin choosing words that, that bring life to people. I can watch what I say. As Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we may have to do some heart work, but, but trying to speak words of life to people and I can seek to be a kingdom of God influencer wherever God takes me, even into my job or in my school or in my home or wherever it is that, that God has me. So salt. Second metaphor is light. Light, there, there's something we all know about light. What does light do? Light extinguishes darkness. Light is powerful. I mean, darkness never has the way, right? Light always wins. Light always overpowers darkness. You can't have light and darkness together. Light, light takes over. One scientist commenting on light said, 
Light is arguably the most influential force in how we perceive and connect with the world around us. Light has the power to give life and save life. And, and, and light illuminates. Light is the light to our path. Uh, when Angel and I were in Zambia years and years ago, um, you didn't ever drive at night because a lot of Zambians, when the car lights or taillights of their car burned out, they never had them repaired. And so you'd be driving on a, on a road and, and they drive there at high speeds too. You might never know what you were going to run into suddenly because there'd be some car going slowly with no lights on to let you know it was there. So light illuminates our way. But when Jesus used this metaphor, I think he was getting at something deeper that would have been very powerful for his audience. I suspect he had in mind of the foundational words God spoke to his people Israel through the prophet Isaiah. We find this in Isaiah 42, where God says, he says to the people of Israel, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now this is Yahweh, this is God speaking over the Israelites, their identity. Yahweh says, I've called you. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. As, as Charian suggested, purchases us. He, we belong to him. And he goes on to say something, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. You hear the same kind of echo in Jesus, don't you, when he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you to be a light to the Gentiles. Israel, you exist to, to know me and, and to worship me and to lift up God as the God. Receive that and take that out to the nations. Make it be a blessing to the world. Did Israel do this? Well, no, actually, they, there's lots of failure. There's lots of them kind of missing out of this calling that God gave them. But, but Matthew kind of picks up on this, and, and when Jesus comes on the scene, he points to Jesus, and he says, guys, this is the light. He's really explicit about this in Matthew 4, where he says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. He says that about Jesus. And now Jesus turns to his new Israelites, this new community he's forming, and he stuns them when he says, you are the light of the world. Israel was supposed to be the light. They failed. Jesus got things back on track again. He was the light. And Jesus then turns to his followers, and he turns to us, and he says, you now, your identity, where you live in this city, you're the light. This is the story of God. This is where the whole you know, story of scripture is, is going. This is the reality God is all about that we step into. What God wants is that those who are farthest away from him, those who are on the outskirts, the farthest from God, he wants them to come into a, a living, loving relationship with himself. And he says, the way that's going to happen is through you. Like, and there's no plan B. I got no backup for this. You are the light. And Jesus goes on to, to give us some idea of how light works. He, he, first he says it's like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. In the ancient world, a traveler at night would be guided by the lights of local villages. You can just picture dark, 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 you know, mostly unilluminated 
countryside, but you could see a village in the distance. And you'd guide your way by looking at the, the, the city that you could see lit up. Um, second, one little light is in a dark room. It lights up the whole room, you know? Nobody ever would cover that up. It'd be silly, you know? Hide it under a bushel? No, the song says. You don't hide the light. You live by the light. And you too, as, as a Jesus follower, you're meant to shine. It makes zero sense for you to, to hide that. The, the idea here is so simple. Jesus followers are to play a visible role in society and as agents of the kingdom of God, pointing people to Jesus. We're given this amazing calling to, to make the kingdom of God visible to the world to open people's eyes up to the reality of God, right? So how are we to be visible? In verse 16, Jesus says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus' people are to be known for, not for our preaching, not for, especially in days like this, not for our soapboxing. Jesus' people are known are to be known for what we do to help and bless other people. Many of you know that I was in a significant car accident almost exactly a month ago. Um, how I knew I was in an accident was there were airbags exploding all around me. That was the first I knew that I was being hit. Amazingly, a, an accident that, that totaled my car and caused all of this damage, uh, airbags to, to deploy didn't injure me, and I was so grateful afterwards for those airbags. And so later in the month, I was listening to Gary Hagen. He's the international director of International Justice Mission, and Gary Hagen was talking about airbags, and so he had my attention. And he said this, he, he said, Jesus' followers function best in the midst of the world's brokenness when things aren't going well. He went on to compare us as Jesus followers to airbags in a car versus cup holders. He says, cup holders function best when times are going well. They keep your tea from spilling. An airbag, on the other hand, is useful when things aren't going well. An airbag gets in between the people and the violence. I think I'll never be able to think of airbags uh, the same again. And, and, and you know what, folks, Hillside, I, I've been so proud of how our congregation, how, how we've been learning to serve hungry people. Uh, we learned first, I think, in Kenya a few years ago, but people in our community through the food bank and, and now also in Dehuk, uh, uh, Iraq, or how there are those among us who are learning to sit and journey alongside those who are new to Canada, who are refugees, who fled because of war to settle and recover in our neighborhoods. Or I think of those who support or volunteer at local schools who work with at-risk children and families. And so as a church, we continue to think about and dream about and consider how we can be a light to our community, how we can be airbags stepping in and protecting people from the violence of our world. How can we serve those for whom life is not going well? That's a massive call. We're never going to get away from that as a church. And the results of this 
this kind of public, visible good works is that people will see what we do and they'll worship our Father. What we do publicly results in people who don't know anything about the goodness of God coming to know God and beginning a relationship with God and discovering the hope of Jesus through us. As we're wrapping up, I want to give you a picture of this. One of our elders, Terry, was, was sharing recently with me an experiment that she did during Lent this year. It inspired me, and I think it'll inspire you. Let's watch her tell her story. Every year, as a spiritual discipline, I do something to recognize Lent. Usually this involves giving something up. This year, I was prompted to add something in. I set out to deliberately connect with someone every day from February 18 to March, April 4th. The goal was to connect with someone who was not in my household and that I did not see because of work. Because COVID limited social interaction, there were some days that in order to meet my goal, I would write an email or have a phone call with someone I hadn't spoken to in a while. But there were also lots of chances to interact in person. I started looking for opportunities to talk with people. For example, when I saw my neighbor in his backyard, I went out onto the sun deck to chat with him. On February 19, my family celebrated my mom's 90th birthday. We bundled her up and we sat in the carport. God answered a specific prayer that day. I have a close family member with whom I've had a tense relationship for several years. I contributed to making it tense and I've been praying for years to start building a bridge. I was able that day to have a tough conversation that went a long way to restoring what was broken. When Stan and I went out to eat, I would ask the server to share something good that happened in the last few weeks. It surprised me how pleased strangers were to share with us. One woman was happy because her husband was responding positively to cancer treatments. Another young lady was reconciled to her grandmother after having not spoken for a few years. Near the end of March, Stan and I went away on our bikes for a few days. We met a young lady who was also traveling on her bike. She worked as a tree planter and was on her way to see her parents for the first time in a year. We sat on the beach in Tawasson. Two young men walked by and started chatting with Stan, and one of them was from the same area of Ontario as Stan. On March 27, we were cycling through New West. It was a cold day, threatening rain. We stopped at the quay to eat some food. There was a man on a nearby bench who started talking with us without raising his head. We engaged him in conversation and ended up talking for half an hour. He lived in the homeless shelter on Columbia Street and told us much of his life story. We shared our food with him. A couple of days later, I ran into some hillsiders at the grocery store and had a quick chat. Every day during Lent, I wrote down who I had connected with that day. Looking back, I can see that sometimes the connections were serendipitous, sometimes deliberate, and often long overdue. There are three things that I see God did in my life during Lent this year. The first was answering a long-standing concern about a relationship within my family. Second, he gave me eyes to see that he provided multiple opportunities to interact with people. Third, his spirit was constantly prompting me to step outside my comfort zone. It was a positive, almost exciting experience. 
It has made me want to be a just say yes kind of Jesus follower. Oh, I, I love that. That was so good. Um, I, I, I love how Terry got intentional about seeking to be a blessing every day to people in her life. You know, to, to wake up and say, okay, who's, who is it today? And sometimes she had someone come to mind and she reached out to somebody and, and sometimes it was about her just being open when, when she bumped into somebody along the way. And, and I, I think that's a great posture for us in our uh, walk with God as we seek to be light and, and salt is, is simply being ready when those opportunities come to speak an encouragement, to, to share a good word, to, 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 to love on somebody, even to, to share your meal with someone who needs food. <clears throat> she was salt, she was light. I, I would say, folks, during Lent and actually beyond, because I know Terry, she was living into her calling. And I want to ask us this morning, how do we do this? How do we fulfill this? I mean, Israel messed up. They had this fantastic calling, and they dropped the ball big time. How do we, we're probably just as likely to mess this up as they were, right? Um, fast forward, and, and in the biblical story beyond Matthew, you got to go to Acts, because Acts, something happened that, that changes everything. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Here's something that we can never afford to forget is that the power to live out the mission of God comes from the Spirit of God. He's the one who empowers us, fills us, in order to be a blessing to the world around us. And and we can only give life as we receive his life. How, How do we get in on the Spirit's power? One of the ways is we participate in in Christian community. We don't be little lights by ourselves. When Jesus said, you are the light, he was actually speaking about the church. And and we're all little lights, but we need to to gather, and however we can do that right now, we gather and stay connected to the body of Christ so that we receive as we worship, and and God reminds us of our calling as we hear the word, and, and then he sends us back out into the world again. There's this there's this thing that happens. We, we, we probably need to be reminded of our calling about once a week. And so we worship once a week and we let God's spirit uh, draw us upward and into himself. We, we also, as, as Terry said, she gave her yes to God. She gave her yes to him. This, this whole last week I've been living with a paragraph. I, I don't know if this happened to you, but uh, you read something and you just can't read beyond it. And I was reading a, a, a note from Dr. John Stackhouse, and he's a former professor at Regent um, and uh, Christian leader in Canada. But this, this, what he wrote, it's just been kind of a persistent, nagging thought in my mind. He was trying to come up with an active definition of faith. Listen to what he says. He says, faith is a continual yielding of ourselves to God. The constant yes we say, or even better, the yesing we keep offering to God as we walk in step with the Spirit. Such openness to God, such welcoming of the Spirit, such shouldering of Jesus' yoke, such embracing of our identity, such pursuit of our mission means this. Don't miss this. It means a constant stream of God into us, welling up from within us, God flowing through us, and God pouring 
out of us. The, the, the picture he gives is, is one of welcome and of, of openness to God that he fills us and gives us life with which to bless the world with. What an awesome calling. What an awesome calling God has given you and me. He speaks it over us. He says, you are the, the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What an awesome God that he would do that for us. Bill is going to now lead us in a time of, of response and prayer. Let's, let's be open this morning to what God wants to do in us. This morning, we've been uh, hearing Derwin talk about how we can impact the, the world and how we can further the kingdom. And one of the points he brought out was the, the question actually was to, how do we bring purity? How do we bring flavor? How do we bring a healing presence to the world? And so I'm going to pray into that right now. Lord, you've heard um, the cry of our hearts this morning, that our desire is that we want to be uh, an, an agent in the world that would bring about change in a positive way. And Lord, we just trust through your Holy Spirit that you would do that this morning, Lord, in our lives. We think about our workplaces. We think about the environments we live in. We thank you for Terry, Terry's wonderful testimony of how you used her Lord, to be intentional around uh, impacting folks and being a yes to you. And uh, this morning, Duran also talked about being a light. And um, the question was, how can we be visible? God, we again pray into that. Holy Spirit, come make that just real in our lives this morning, that we can be thinking through this week of how our presence in the environments that we're in, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our relatives, with those that we see around us, Lord, that we may be visible, not so much through the words that we say, but by our actions and by doing things that would point folks to you, Jesus. And lastly, what I heard Duran saying was that all of this is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, this morning, we just say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your patience. All of the things, Lord, that are characteristics of you, we long for that. But we know, Lord, and we're, we're confident that we can pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would take these words that Duran has shared this morning, as we've heard them, may we now do them in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.